morning, y'all. How are we? Good. Good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, I am excited to celebrate baptisms later, so that'll be a good time. Uh, because baptisms are going on, that means I need to jump right into my sermon and not play around because we've got to shorten the service a little bit, all right? And y'all know how I am, so let's go ahead and dive right in. Actually, before we do, uh, one of the things that's really cool that happened this week uh, is that we got to secure this uh, space for another year. Um, and so that's a huge, huge blessing to us, obviously, to get to meet in here. Uh, but a huge blessing for Campbell, too, as we get to serve them and uh, bless this community, mentor their kids, give to them. And a lot of you guys don't know, but uh, we just gave them a, a huge check to kind of help uh, some of the activities that they have going on here uh, at Campbell. And so anyway, you guys bless the school a ton, and they obviously bless us with a place to meet. And so we have it for at least another year. So that's a good, good uh, thing there. So um, <coughs> excuse me, man. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, Genesis 28 is where we'll be. Uh, we're going to be there a whole day, so feel free to turn and camp out there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Please feel free to take and keep that. If you don't own a Bible, our gift to you, we want you to have the Word to be able to read it during the week. You can also follow along on your smartphone. If you have the Version app underneath tabs, Click on events and type in the well Austin. You can follow along that way. If you don't know what that is or it's too much work, you can actually just take this link, put it right into your browser, and you can follow along that way. Uh, there are notes, scriptures, all that. We want your eyes on the word. We say that every week. So whether it's physical Bible, your phone, whatever it may be, uh, we want you seeing that we're not just trying to be cute. We're not just making this up. That we really believe these are the words of God to us that breathes life in our souls. And so we want to have our eyes on the word that God may speak to us as well. Um, through that. So last week we began our story on Jacob and our sermon series on Jacob. And we really saw in some ways a family in complete and total disarray, right? Like, like it's like a, a really bad uh, episode of Modern Family or something was going on here where we saw all this disagreement. That's actually a terrible analogy because Esau wanted to kill Jacob, which that's not very modern family. That's like Narcos or House of Cards or something, okay? And so we saw this family that was in utter disarray. There was all this turmoil. There was all this hostility. And what happens is, is Jacob ends up fleeing for his life because his brother Esau wants to kill him after he betrayed him multiple times. And so that's where we actually pick up today is Jacob is now a fugitive in some regards. He is on the run trying to escape uh, and trying to survive. And so Genesis chapter 28, uh, we're going to pick it right up there in verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haram. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Now, a couple of things. First of all, Beersheba to Haran is 500 miles, okay? Driving 500 miles is like awful, right? It's like a seven, eight hour drive unless you're speeding and it's like six hours. But still, nobody wants to be in the car that long. Walking 500 miles, that is the definition of sanctification, okay? And so Jacob now is walking all of this way. And there are a couple of things that the story helps us set up so that we have a good backdrop, so that we kind of know what we're walking into uh, in, this, in this story. First of all, you see that it mentions the word certain place a couple of times there in that text. Is it two times in, to be exact? This is actually really rare in Scripture because all throughout the Scripture, it wants to tell you where people are, who are involved 
in the scene so that in your mind, you're able to kind of have an understanding of exactly what's happening. And so for the place to be left out is actually uh, really unprecedented in some ways. And so the author who always gives us the names of places, even you see at the beginning, Beersheba to Haran, he just says, now they're in this certain place, somewhere in between that 500 mile distance, they're there. And what's going on? Well, the author doesn't want us to focus our eyes on this specific instance. He's kind of like a movie director who is trying to uh, set up a plot twist later on in the movie. He wants to drop little hints throughout the movie, but he doesn't want you to immediately get the idea, right? This is what this author is doing is it's just this certain place. It's just this area, and we don't really know where this is immediately. And so the author is kind of setting us up on on purpose. Secondly, twice it mentions night or it says that the sun had set. Right, So like if the sun had set, it's obviously night or vice versa. If it's night, the sun obviously set. So why is it that the author uh, emphasizes that? He, he doubles down on that understanding. Well, just like last week, it actually gives the time of day as well. And really the time of day is actually to some extent in regards to the story insignificant because Jacob could have had a vision in the middle of the day as he did later on in his life. And so really what the author is doing is giving us not just the uh, uh, time, but really the condition of everything around. It's dark. Like, it's, it's scary. There are, there's turmoil going on, not just in the, the night surroundings, but in Jacob's own soul, that he is in all of this turmoil. Bruce Walkie, a professor at RTS, he says this. He says, The setting of God's encounter with Jacob matches Jacob's psychological condition. The security of the sun has been replaced by the dangers of the night. The comfort of his parents' tent has been replaced by a rock. Behind him lays Beersheba, where Esau waits to kill him. Ahead of him is Haran, where Laban waits to exploit him. He is situated in between a death camp and a hard labor camp. Right? This is what's going on in Jacob's life. And so it's trying to give you guys the setting. This is a tumultuous time in some ways. And so this is the story that we pick up on with our brother and friend Jacob. All right? So let's keep reading. Verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So notice in verse 13 and 12 as well, the multiple behold references, right? Behold a ladder. Behold the angels. Behold the Lord. This is trying to stress that this is a crazy, uh, an awe-inspiring, a really significant aspect. The behold is trying to stir up some of our emotions in us. Jacob is in a normal place. There's nothing, quote, unquote, special about this place per se. And then all of a sudden, the Lord shows up. Right? Like, like here comes God in this unknown place. In fact, in verse 16, Jacob actually says, surely the Lord is here and I did not know it. Like I, I didn't even recognize that this is what was going on. God is reaching out to Jacob when in reality, Jacob doesn't really seem like that great of a guy. 
Like, like he just stole his brother's birthright. He just stole his brother's blessing. He actually just blasphemed the name of the Lord. He is not a, what we would call believer at this point. He is not claiming God for himself. And yet all of a sudden, right, Jacob doing these shady things, God shows up to him anyway. God begins to interact with him. God comes and meets him. He doesn't just reach out to him, but he actually shows him an astounding thing. The ladder of God reached up into the heaven and stretched down onto the earth. So God shows up, and then he reaffirms this coveted uh, Abrahamic promise, right? Like that the nations would be blessed, that, that men and women would come to know who God is through Jacob's offspring. Even though Jacob isn't really trying to follow God per se, nonetheless, God reached reaches out to him in beautiful ways. And so uh, God is finding this wandering man, reveals himself to him, and overpromises Jacob in some way. Notice all of the I references there in those verses. God says, I will bless you. I will multiply you. I will reproduce in your offspring. I will be a blessing to the nations through you. And so God is going to do something kind of no matter what, but he actually wants to use Jacob with which to do that with. He wants to uh, bring Jacob into his plans in some way, give Jacob value, life, meaning, significance. Like God is really trying to interact with this man. God is initiating with the man who really doesn't want much to do with God. Like he's not really interested in God per se. He just wants blessing. He just wants things, and yet God is reaching out to him. In fact, in the prior chapters, nothing really prepares our hearts for this moment. Because ever since Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham sacrificed Isaac on the altar, we actually don't really see God showing up much in the text. Now, from 1 to 22, God literally shows up in almost every single chapter. God is present. He's talking to people. He's interacting. But in the several chapters before this, the only time you see God speaking is with Rebecca and telling her that Jacob is going to be the chosen son. Besides that, it's Abraham's faith that buries Sarah. It's Abraham's faith that finds a son in Isaac. It's Rebecca's faith that comes. It's just the men and women interacting. And so uh, God all of a sudden shows up to some extent unexpected. And so what does this tell us? What does this mean for us today? Well, I think uh, in this story and even in our own lives, it shows us that God tends to show up to us. God tends to reach out to us at ordinary, unexpected times right? Just ordinary means of, of grace that he's given us, ordinary times in our lives. This isn't always true. Sometimes God shows up in these massive ways where we're waiting for God, but man, oftentimes he just shows up when he's almost uninvited, right? He walks in, knocks on your door and says, hey, you ready to eat? And you're not ready for it, right? But he's there with you. He takes what seems ordinary, like a friendship, or a neighbor, or a coworker, and all of a sudden they're inviting you to church, or they're hearing about deep parts of your lives, or, or they take somebody that you meet randomly at church, or a Sunday service, or when you're out camping, or when you're listening to a song driving, and for some reason you just start weeping, all right? Am I the only one that happens to? All right, I saw two hands. There we go. So two feelers in the room. The rest of y'all are thinkers. That's all right, right? But like sometimes, right, a movie. Like I'm, I, I watch Finding Nemo and I start crying because I see aspects of God the Father. Don't judge me, okay? It's true, right? Like God just shows up at things that seem to be ordinary. Like God begins to interact with us in these beautiful kind of profound ways. And he draws us or is trying to draw us into relationship with himself. He tends to initiate with us. We don't really care about God. I mean, isn't that true for those of you who are believers, who are Christians? You know that, man, when God reached out to you, you, you didn't really care that much. 
And all of a sudden, he started interacting in your life. He started moving in your life. And this is what happens to many of us frequently. So Jacob gets this crazy picture of God, right? And then what does he do? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. So here the author does the reveal to us. Luz is actually a huge city. It's actually a very, very, very prominent place in the scriptures in general. So this isn't just anywhere that God is showing up. He's actually showing up in a very, very hostile, very pagan environment even, right? God just affirmed in verse 14 that he wants all the nations of the earth to be blessed through this man, Abraham. He, God, has always desired every single person, every tribe, every tongue, every culture, every people group to come into the knowledge of who he is. And God is revealing himself to Jacob in this very, very uh, uh, metropolis type of place where many different nations and tongues would have gathered here at the city of Luz. This is where God all of a sudden shows up to Jacob. There's beauty in the nations. That's one of the reasons why I love this church is you see Asian, Hispanic, black, white, whatever it may be. You see the nations beginning to gather and we get through some of the hard, we don't really understand your culture that much. And we actually get to see God through the midst of that, right? Like, like God has always been for all peoples and it's evidence of even who's sitting in this church today, right? God is trying to draw all people. He's not just a regional God, but he's a global God. He's a universal God who wants all men and women to experience his goodness. And so now Jacob renames the place Bethel, right, which is signifying of, of a Hebrew name as something that means the house of God. And so Jacob is recognizing, man, something's happening here. And then let's finish our text for the day. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And the stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Bruh. Seriously? Right? Like just when we get a little bit of hope about Jacob and a little bit of hope about what's going on, look at all the conditions this man places on God. He places condition after condition. In fact, he actually takes every one of the promises of God and he matches it with his own human condition. In fact, I have a chart up here to show that right? God all of a sudden speaks in all these beautiful ways. I am with you. Jacob says, well, if you're with me, I will keep you if you keep me wherever you go. Hey, not just I want you with me wherever I go, but where I go, I want you with me. And I want you to give me bread and clothing in the midst of that. And if I bring you back and if I return, like Jacob clearly does not believe the promises of God here, right? God is trying to offer all these things. And he says, hey, if you do all these things, then I will follow you. Then you will be my God. In fact, he doesn't even talk to God until the end of verse 20 or 22. And the start, he's just saying, if God does this, if God does this, if then you will be my God. So he's not even interacting with God. And that brings us to the next point in some ways. God's promises to us tend to be unconditional, but we tend to place conditions on God. All right? No amens to that? 
Am I the only one that does that, right? God's promises to us tend to be unconditional, but then we take these unconditional, beautiful, majestic promises of God, and then we put conditions on them as if we know better than what God knows. Like, we want God how we want God. Isn't that true? Right? I mean, I know it's true for me. He wants to set us free. He wants to give us life abundantly. He wants us to know, to experience, to see him, to grow in the fullness of the knowledge of who he is. But our nearsightedness makes us not recognize how awesome God's promises are, and it makes us very focused on our little fragmented piece of life. This is what Jacob is doing. Right? This small fragment of life Jacob is what's focusing on. See, God's promises were eternal. He said all nations, but what was Jacob's condition? Jacob's condition was very local. If I come back to this place, God wanted all the people to be blessed, but Jacob said, no, no, if I come back to my father's house, God's plan was selfless. He's going to bless all people, but Jacob's plan was selfish. Give me bread, give me clothing. See, God wants to give out to everyone, and Jacob just wants to give to himself. He's missing the fullness of God here to focus on his little tiny situation. God promises to be with him, but he doesn't seem this is true. And so God is wanting to bless exponentially, but Jacob is stuck on the momentary, the the small things. And man, doesn't this happen to us all the time? Like, in the scriptures, there are these massive promises, but, but we can't even focus on them because the momentary aspect of this life, they, they crowd those out in our head, and we're unable to actually grapple with the beauty of what God has called us to. We get stuck. God's plan is so big, but we focus on silly things. God's plan is so unconditional, but we tend to try to box God in to fit in our framework, to fit in our mind. We think we know how he should act or what his will should be, and we try to place limits on him, and we think that we're gaining more in doing that. Like, God, yeah, yeah, I want that too, but I also want my health or whatever it may be. When in reality, we're actually stunting the true plans of God, thinking that it leads to our vitality, and in reality, it leads to our death. It leads to us not experiencing as much. So selfish is our heart that we look right past the divine miracles, and we just focus on bread, as Jacob said. I mean, he just saw the ladder of God extended from heaven to earth, and he's like, if you give me bread, then I'm good to go, right? And man, God does that same thing. We, we see the beauty of the gospel in scriptures, and we're like, yeah, that, that, that's really good, right? As long as I get a spouse and a nice house with a white picket fence and 2.5 kids and a Christian dog, <laughs> right? And that's what we tend to focus on is this momentary small aspect. If God proves worthy of my love, then maybe I'll, I'll tithe, maybe. Really, I'm going to give like 4%, but whatever. Who's counting? Right? I mean, I, am I just preaching to myself here? <laughs> like, like, my heart's convicted when I read this because I do this in my own life. I don't recognize how God is moving, and this is what Jacob is doing. Like, this is what he is thinking about God. I mean, can we be real for a minute? I know this is harder to hear, right? But we're in church, right? And even if you said no, I'd say it anyway. <laughs> All right? Like, like, think about it. Aren't we just, like, to some extent, three-year-olds with the Lord? Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to insult our adulthood. Actually, yeah, I do. <laughs> like, think about it. My three-year-old daughter, about to be four, she doesn't get what she wants, and she freaks out, and she throws a fit as if I'm not giving her the world. <laughs> as if I'm not trying to extend to her as many blessings as humanly possible. And God bestows the riches of his mercies on us in profound ways. We're like, if you give me bread and, and clothing, then, then I'll do this. And our hearts do that. Friends, there's a Jacob in all of our hearts. 
Our hearts are very Jacob-esque in their very nature, where we completely miss the bigness of what God is doing, and we zero it into this little tiny moment, and we miss what God actually wants to do. God wants to give us the world, and instead, we just choose something selfishly for ourselves. He's trying to redeem our life. Think about Jacob. He's giving him purpose. Doesn't God want to give you purpose? He's given Jacob value. Jacob is a, a wanderer. He's a fugitive. And God says, I don't care. I'm going to use you anyway. You will be a blessing to the nations. Right now, Jacob has no home. Nobody wants Jacob. He's in the middle of nowhere. God says, everyone will find their home through you. Like God is giving this man value, purpose, identity, worth, significance. And Jacob's trading it in. And the scriptures say that God wants to give us identity, worth, value, significance, purpose. And it's so quick that we trade it in, right? We treat God like a vending machine, where if we press A6, we get what we want. If it doesn't work, we smack it a little bit and see if it comes out then, right? And then we get frustrated when God doesn't interact with our plans as if he doesn't know what's best. Look at the plans of God here and look at Jacob. But we do the same thing. We tend to treat him like a genie. And in this, we sell ourselves short. Paul Noble says this. Says unconditional acceptance of another's generosity seems to be very hard for Jacob to accept. So deeply is it ingrained in his personality that he must carve out his by his life, by the sweat of his own brow, that he cannot countenance anything simply being given to him by either God or man. And many of us are like this. We reject God's grace, we try to work for our salvation, or Christians, we try to work for our sanctification, and we totally miss the grace of God here. So we have this Jacob in us. We have this idea where we don't get the goodness of God and we miss. God wants to change the world and we're only focusing on this little aspect here. Um, I usually, I don't think I've ever shared this story because often when I share this story, I think we focus on the miraculous nature of God rather than the hardness of my own heart, okay? So I want to preface it with this. In my own life, I feel the Jacob in my life, and that was true even before I knew the Lord, and I feel very similar to Jacob in this extent. When I was 12, I got uh, this, this version of cancer. It was a bone cancer, um, and it happened probably about a week before Christmas, and uh, couldn't walk, and so from about a week before Christmas to early March, couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair. Or I was in crutches if I didn't want to be embarrassed because I'm a 12-year-old in a wheelchair, right? And so I uh, 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 have all this pain. I go to the doctor's office or the hospital uh, Christmas Eve. Between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, they took 36 blood samples trying to figure out what it was, and they couldn't figure out what it was. And so I missed school from uh, that December all the way until March. In fact, there was a rumor going around my school that I had been killed. And so when I did go back to school for the first time, this girl came and fell and started crying. And she was like, I thought you were dead. <laughs> like, man, this is crazy, right? And so, like, there's all this stuff, right? I mean, I, I'm suffering a lot of ways. I couldn't move. I remember being in the hospital, and the doctor came and looked at me, and he said, this is the sickest kid in this whole hospital. Tend to him, right? And so, man, I, I'm in all this pain, Okay, couldn't figure out what it was, couldn't figure out what it was, couldn't figure out what it was. Finally, in February, uh, we get a call from the cancer center, and they found this super rare form of bone cancer, uh, and they said, hey, we want you to come in. So we go in, you know, I'm 12, I, I turned 13 by this point, so I'm 13 now, and um, I know there's something up, right? The doctor's super nice. You want some ice cream? I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure, man? How about a sucker? Like, I'm not 
four, right, 13. So he's being super, super nice, and he pulls my mom aside. She comes back in, and she's crying, okay? And literally, uh, I go into the doctor's office, and he holds up this x-ray. You know how x-rays are, like, translucent or whatever. You can see through them. And so circled on that x-ray is uh, where the cancerous spot is, and it's a bone discoloration in the bone. You can see it very clearly. It's darker than the rest of the bones around it. He says, this is where it is, and so we don't really know what to do yet. We're trying to figure that out. And so he puts it down. Now, before I went into the hospital that day, my granny came over and she prayed for me. And after she got done praying, she said, son, I want you to know that God's going to heal you because he wants to use you and he wants you to be a pastor one day. And I was like, yeah, whatever, okay. I'm not a believer, okay. I don't believe in God. So this is like whatever to me. And so we go in and the doctor, you know, he, he leaves, talks to my mom again, comes back in, and it's just like this. It's like what y'all are seeing right now. He picks this up, and he goes. Looks at me. And then he grabs it, and he holds it so that I can see. And the bone discoloration was gone, okay? There's no more discoloration of the bone. So he said, did you touch this? I'm like, no, I, I didn't touch it, you know. Okay, l- let me call Detroit Children's Hospital, and uh, we'll, we'll have you come back in tomorrow. I don't know what happened. All right, whatever. It's late. I go home. Next morning, I'm walking to the bathroom in the morning, and I'm standing there peeing, TMI, I know. <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, I thought, I'm walking. Like, like, I haven't done this in three months, okay? And I'm standing here walking all of a sudden. What is going on? Now, let me tell you what didn't happen at that moment. What didn't happen is I didn't fall on my knees and say, God is the king. Let my life forever be on service unto thee, right? That's not what happened, okay? I literally went, bet, I can walk. And literally went on about life and was fully unaware of anything that had happened in that moment. Like, this is an astounding moment, and my heart was so hard. I didn't think at all about God that I just totally missed it. Right? Like, like, I didn't even see God at all. In fact, that was kind of the first of several instances, and I didn't get saved until three-plus years later when I finally actually understood. But God is so gracious and so good to pursue us, but my heart was so hard. In fact, when I was 18 and finally a believer, I was driving in the car with my granny, and I said, uh, hey, this is really weird, but, like, I feel like the Lord has spoken to me. I feel like I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. She said, oh, yeah, what's that? I said, I feel like I'm supposed to be a pastor. She was like, yeah, you don't remember when I told you that when you were 12, the whole cancer thing? And it was like I had stepped on a landmine. My brain like exploded, right? It was the first time I even remembered that that even happened. Like I was so blind to what God was doing. Friends, this is what's happening in the Jacob story. A ladder comes down from the heavens and lands on earth. And he's like, if you give me bread, then I'll, then I'll, then I'll serve you. He's totally missing. God is trying to initiate with this man. He's trying to interact with him, and his heart is so blinded that he can only focus on his situation. For many of you, God is trying to interact with you, but your heart is so blinded because you can only focus on your situation. You can only focus on what's right now in front of you, and you're missing the largeness of God. Maybe something miraculous like that, or maybe just something really ordinary. Like, why did that coworker show up with you and now he's loving you or blessing you or, or why is that neighbor or, or why did you interact with that Christian a couple of Sundays ago, right? And maybe you're struggling in your faith or whatever it may be. I mean, even in our story, right? Go back to verse 12 again, if you're still in your Bibles. 
Remember in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, this is the Tower of Babel story. And they're trying to build up a tower that would reach into the heavens. Do you remember this? And then God comes and he confuses them, scatters their language. And they're trying to work their way towards God to some extent. But here, the ladder of God comes from heaven and extends down onto earth. What is that telling us? That we don't have to work our way to God. God instead works his way towards us. He initiates with us. Jacob was just trying to sleep. Right? He was tired, and God wakes him up, disturbs him, and says, I want you. I want to use you. I want to be your God and you, my people. And friends, this is how we can know that this story has an even greater significance than what lies before us today, that heaven truly does reach down into earth in ways that are unimaginable, that God will keep all of his promises, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed if they believe in God. This is how we can know assuredly. Turn to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, this is when Jesus first walks onto the scene. And he's there and he's present. He's choosing disciples. And one of the disciples is confused. And in verse 51, the last verse in that chapter, it says, And he, Jesus, said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Does that verse sound familiar? He's quoting Genesis 28, verse 12. The ladder was opened up and the angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. And Jesus walks on the scene and says, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on me. Jesus is the true ladder of heaven. Jesus is the true staircase to God. See, what Jacob was seeing was a small shadow of the full part that God wants us to know him. So much so that God would send down his only son to die on the cross that whoever would believe in him would be able to get to heaven. That Jesus, God, they want you so much for your life to have meaning, value, significance, worth that they would open up the heavens and come down onto earth that you may know him. Jesus is the true ladder of God. This story finds its true and full fulfillment in Christ, that everybody who believes in him will be blessed, that all nations will come to know him, that, that God will give you meaning, value, worth, significance. This is true in Jesus. What Jacob was seeing in part, we can actually see in whole. God wants to give you eternal blessings, friend. He wants to bless your life in ways that you are unable to understand. And I don't mean a prosperity gospel. There may be suffering on this earth, but one day there will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. You will be in the presence of God forever experiencing everything that your heart wants. This is found in Jesus. True joy, true peace, true comfort. Everything that we long for is found in the person who work in Christ. God loves you so much that he would send his son down that he is the true ladder of God. This is how we know that God isn't playing around when he reveals himself to Jacob, that this is a, a true and an even greater story than even Jacob could get. He was missing it because he was blinded, right? And, and he lost the awe to that extent. So how do we apply this story? What does that mean for our lives today? Well, I think it's really simple. I think we've been hitting on it throughout the whole sermon, right? But I mean, if you don't know God, if you say, ah, I don't really know where I'm at, I don't really believe in Jesus, ask your heart, what ways are you like Jacob, right? What ways are you like the story I told about myself? Like, what would God have to do for you to actually confess and believe? Like, truly ask yourself that. Is it 
open up the heavens and extend a ladder down because that didn't work with Jacob. It didn't work with me. To some extent, at some point, we have to choose to submit our lives to Christ, that we would just choose to follow him knowing that, man, we may not ever have all of the answers. We may not ever know everything. But if we're honest, we can probably say, man, God could do whatever he wants, and our hearts would still have a hard time. But God loves us so much that he already did the greatest thing. We don't need a a healing of cancer. We don't need a ladder coming down from heaven. He sent his son to die, to take on the wrath of God, to remove sin from us and place it onto himself. What more do we want? What more could we ask for? Bread and clothing? That's so short-sighted. Right? God wants to bless us, and you can have a relationship with God, the forgiveness of your sins, new purpose, new value, new meaning, an eternal home, adopted as sons and daughters, if we choose to believe in Jesus, to place our faith in him. This scandalous grace, he's made it so easy that we can be like the angels ascending and descending on the ladder, that we can get into heaven, and that's the bridge of Jesus Christ on the cross. We can be saved. The ladder comes down to you friends, what more do you want of him? What more do you want of him? And if we're believers in here, if we're Christians, if we have believed in Jesus, we have accepted that gift. Man, the scriptures say that God gives you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need for life and godliness. Now, don't hear me saying that you can't ask God for more. Like, if you're sick, man, ask God to heal you. Ask God to give you health. If, if you're in trouble, man, ask God's help. He wants to bless you. But don't become so narrow-minded and so short-sighted that you think that that's the end. It's not, friends. Eternity is the end. And we have to be eternally focused. We have to know that even if we live the rest of our lives in utter misery and pain, it's like 60 to 80 years max, depending on how old you are, right? For some of you, it's like 20 years max. Like That's a good thing. That soon we will be home, soon and very soon. And if we fix our eyes on the cross, if we remember the eternal significance, then what can this world do to me? We can say along with Paul. What more do I need? We can say along with Peter. We have all that we need in Christ. If we remember the condescending love of Jesus, that he would remove his eternity and come down into our homes to save our souls, then what more could we ask for? All of a sudden, we're able to run in this life with new meaning, purpose, vision. We have to fix our eyes on Christ. We have to remember what Jesus has done for us. If we're tempted to put conditions on God, friends, we'll miss out in many ways. Our hearts are like Jacob, all of us in here, but I pray that we would see Jesus, that we would see what he meant, that we would kill our entitlement, that we would stop putting conditions on God, and that we would allow him to move. Here's the most encouraging part of the story to me. Jacob clearly is not a believer yet. God just showed him something miraculous, and he does not repent, and God does not give up on him. The next several weeks, we still see God reaching out to him and trying to draw his soul to himself. Friends, God has not given up on you. God will keep reaching out even if you don't want anything to do with him. He's going to keep putting Christians in your life. He's going to keep drawing you. He's going to keep trying to minister to you because he loves you. God loves you, friends. He loves you. Do not forget that. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of Jacob. Lord, I confess that in my own life, I am very Jacob-esque. 
My heart focuses on the wrong things. I miss how you're trying to minister to me, God. Let us not miss that, Jesus. Let us see the fullness of you. That's what I pray very simply, God, that we would see how you're trying to work in our lives, that we would submit to that, Jesus. That maybe even today some of us would submit to you for the first time ever, and we would see the beauty of who you are. (laughs) Thank you for your love, Christ. Man, you're good. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your very beautiful name. Amen.